Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. Our guest today is Father Nathan Castle. Father Nathan Nathan Castle helps lost souls cross over to the other side. Father Nathan believes the Holy Spirit has given him a night job of helping souls who died suddenly and violently find afterlife peace. Father Nathan Castle entered the Dominican order in 1979. He received degrees from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California. He was the director of the Catholic communities at Stanford University and Arizona State University. And he's the author of Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over and Toto to the Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure. This is his story and this is his passion. Father Nathan Castle, I am so honoured to have you on the show today and welcome to Passion Harvest. It's great to be here. (laughs) Father Nathan, what incredible work you do. It's amazing and it's so very much needed both I guess in the physical and the non-physical realms do you mind sharing with the audience what it is you exactly do and help uh, stuck or lost souls that have died a sudden death cross over to the other side yes it's been about the last 25 years of my life but it's still awesome Uh, I'm about 25 years ago I received a first of what I call contact dreams I, I received this dream rather than just have it. It's not my own psychobabble. It's, um, it's someone who died suddenly and violently, who is ready to move from one afterlife level to another. And they apparently need a little assistance doing that. And they come and show me a violent death normally, or at least they make me aware of it somehow, uh, mostly visually in, in dream symbols. I write it down. I, um, I pray to the person and t- say hello and, and assure them that we'll get to them very soon. And then I make an appointment with one of a number of different prayer partners I have before the pandemic that was usually done in person. But in the last two years, so many things have gone online. This did too. But when we get together, we pray protection around ourselves. Uh, I'm a Catholic priest, a Christian, so I pray to the Christian saints, to St. Michael the Archangel and Holy Mary and a number of others, St. Benedict. And um, I read the story that I wrote down uh, the night that I received the dream. It might be several weeks before, between the time the dream was received and when we're helping the person do their movement. And uh, we, uh, I, I, I believe I have a gift that, that, that in Christian language is called prophecy which allows uh, the Hebrew, the the Jewish and Christian prophets would allow God to speak through them. And uh, so I allow them, the person to speak through me just long enough to tell us uh, what happened and how we might help. Amazing. And just going back to these visions or your, the dreams that you have, I just wanted to make it clear. You don't know these people that have had a a sudden death. How do they appear to you? What, what do, I mean, do you see them in your mind's eye? I do. And it, I, it's funny. You don't pay much attention to storytelling until um, you're involved in a lot of stories. It, for example, if a person died in a car crash, and a great many of them did, they could. Recently, I had one that felt like the way that a drone camera might hover over a scene and you see cars uh, colliding. That's one way. Uh, The most direct is when the driver was the person killed. And the last thing I see is like an 18 wheeler crossing the center line and coming right at me. Uh, Sometimes I'm in the passenger seat or I'm in the back seat or uh, it depends on how a person tells a story. And then there are a lot of others that aren't car crashes that are 
uh, falls, drowning, shootings. Um, uh, so it really depends on how the person chooses to tell their story. One thing that's important for, for your audience to know is that they're, even though they might be showing me an awful scene, I'm not terrified. It's buffered and made uh, sweet somehow. Yes, because I guess the question would be, are you afraid of seeing these? Uh, I don't think I'd get a moment's sleep if, if, I did, if I weren't buffered. I mean, I, I, uh, no, I'm there. Um, the point of them is to inform me of something not, and they're never told in a ghoulish way, even if the scene itself was horrific. Some of them are murders that were preceded by torture or something. Well, they don't show me every graphic thing. They just get, they just tell me just enough to let me on to what I'm dealing with. Yes, that would be challenging, particularly violent murders or, or, or deaths. Do you sense the, the, uh, the physical pain that they experienced when they died? No, God, uh, I don't think I've ever experienced, even though, no, no, they've experienced all kinds of things, but no, I've never been made to feel their pain, not at least not physical pain. I can sometimes pick up on emotion, especially uh, when, when we do gather and quiet ourselves and say our protective prayers, and I invite the person who told that story, there'll sometimes be a predominant emotion, and I'll begin feeling that. Uh, they, uh, they've all been through, they're all vetted. I don't get them randomly. They've all been cared for since the moment they died and every moment that followed it. And they have a team of helpers that are something like a healthcare continuum, a healthcare cohort, uh, people with different kinds of expertise, the way that when a person goes into a hospital, you know, you might deal with all kinds of different uh, hospital personnel. Uh, we, my, my team and I seem to be the discharge staff. I, I love that. The people you meet on the day you're ready to leave the hospital and somebody needs to help you gather your things and make sure you know what's next. And that's kind of what we help do. Um, and I, would this include suicides as well? It has included suicides, yes. And what happens from, I don't know if you see this far, when the point that their physical body dies, what, what happens? What do you see? Where do they go? <laughs> that's a lot In of general. questions. Um, well, they go where they go to a place that they create most of the time. Uh, some of them were unconscious at the time of their death, you know, where they fell unconscious in the process of dying. And sometimes they stay unconscious a little afterwards, and then they might awaken in a place that they didn't really choose the way you and I might awaken in a hospital bed if an ambulance said to pick us up and take care of us while we were unable to uh, make our own decisions. Sometimes it's that way. Sometimes they're very angry and want to be left alone. And so they intentionally create a very stark, empty space. Uh, not because they're punished, just because that's what they wanted. Uh, sometimes, uh, they've, a very few times people have been frightened and they were already someplace like in a field. And so they decided to stay in that field because they just didn't want to move. You know, they, they, they were familiar with something. So they kept what was familiar, even if it wasn't that pleasant. And by the time the souls, I'm going to call them souls by the time yeah. the soul and hello, Toto, the, the, your dog. Uh, he's, he's my <laughs> Sorry. Mom. I didn't introduce him. Um, yeah. Uh, when these souls come to you during dreams, do they know that their physical body, do they know they're dead? Do they know their physical body has died? Because we're on the far end of the process, as I was just saying, we're the discharge staff. By the time they get to us, if they had that problem early on, not knowing that they had died, others have helped them through that. They've, uh, they've had an opportunity to recognize, oh, of course I've died. I, I've learned that some of them, needed to be treated as though they were still in a body because that's what they expected and what was most helpful. Mm -hmm. Like uh, during COVID, there've been people who died gasping for breath. And so even though they've already died, they still kind of bring that with them for a short time. And so they're given an oxygen mask 
to make their breathing easier, <laughs> not because they really need it, but because they perceive that they do. The, the and, consciousness identifies with that. Yes. And so for a while, they might be given the thing that they think they need uh, until they can be shown somehow that uh, you're, you're now beyond the need for this. And usually when people think that they have a specific need, there's fear attached to it. If I don't have this, I'll die, you know, or something like that. So they need to be kind of um, gradually shown that, no, you, you really don't need the thing that you thought you did. And it's so interesting, you mentioned before that they go to a place that they believe is safe or, or a figment of their imagination or their consciousness, whether it be a field or a room. It's very interesting that everyone has different experiences, including near-death experiences or no doubt afterlife experiences. And some of them had some ability to choose at the moment of leaving the body and so opted for something next. Other times they were too bewildered or unconscious or something, and it was done for them. Uh, and then some of them end up in clusters where for a time they're with other people who died death similar to their own. And so they'll be in a kind of a large space that has other people who died by being hit by a train. I, I dealt with that one time or people that have died in terrorist attacks. Uh, there seems to be if they don't talk to each other very much early on because it's they're too wounded uh and but they're at least grouped with people that have an experience like their own it's so interesting and and i know we're talking in human physical matter terms can they I'm I'm going to ask you questions that I get asked questions and I'm sure you ask these all the time. Can they see uh, other physical beings like the loved ones that they have left behind? They, they, they grow in their capacity for that kind of thing as they move further away from the event that caused their death. And as they calm down or uh, sometimes, you know, how when we are at funerals, very often we say, we ask, we hope that the person will rest in peace. Sometimes that's exactly what they need. But the whole point of resting is that we later rise. You don't go to bed just so you can sleep your life away. <laughs> you go to sleep so that your body can recharge and re-energize. And so you, are, you get out of bed the next morning, ready to greet the day. And so sometimes they've done that. And, uh, and then we get to be with them while they think of how am I gonna live the day now? What am I gonna do next? Um, we uh, well, we often hear that. I know you primarily deal with sudden or instant deaths. Uh, some people don't leave the physical plane because of the loved ones that they've left behind. Yeah. Or sometimes they do uh, leave the physical plane, um, but they're not really ready to advance very much because they're so uh, their imaginations are so tied to the family or the group or the, or the vocation, the work they were doing. Specifically, I've seen this in parents who die suddenly while they still have small children. Because sometimes they, they think of their life's purpose being so bound up in getting that child or those children raised to adulthood that when suddenly that's taken away from them, they feel like they didn't just lose their life, but they lost their mission. Yeah. And, and then being told, well, we want you to think about your next mission. Sometimes they're so aggravated having the previous one taken away from them suddenly without their permission that they're not that interested just yet in forming a new sense of purpose. And if that's the case, they're not hastened to do it. They're allowed to move at the pace that they want to. Um, do you think we, obviously on a subconscious level, do you think we all choose our point of death, time of death? I don't. I mean, I don't know. And, and when I get to be honored by being a, a guest on a show like yours, I come on as something of an expert in something. That's kind of the way this works. Mm -hmm. But I'm an expert at looking through one little peephole. I mean, I've done this one work uh, in in the afterlife for about 25 years. 
Uh, I, I'm around a lot of people who believe in pre-birth contracts, you know, some sort of uh, planning the life you'll lead and so on. That's not my cosmology. It doesn't mean it couldn't be true. And I'm respectful when I hear people speak that way. It's, I haven't experienced it and that's not the way I operate. Um, if that's the case, I mean, I don't know. I'm, but the people who come to me, there's plenty of other ways to do this. They don't have to come through me. Uh, sometimes they've told me that they picked me because I was a Catholic priest and they felt more comfortable with that. Oh, <laughs> well, they but, picked you, uh, that's for sure. And they're queuing up, obviously. <laughs> they do, as a matter of fact. Words exactly out. <laughs> uh, well, and sometimes their guardian angel, the guardians play a very large role. And I have Toto in the, in the screen here. Uh, he's usually in my lap many times when we're doing this work. And I often ask the guardian angel of the person to come through first to give clarifying detail because it was a dream and dream language is symbolic. Okay. And so you could possibly read it wrong. Or there might be, for example, there might've been three people in the car. Are we helping one person or are we helping all three? Or I'll get a sense that we're not in the United States, we're somewhere else. I might wanna know where are we? So there's sometimes a question for the guardian that we'll ask. And it's also helpful just for the guardian to do sort of what I call a mic test. Because this person has probably never spoken using another person's voice before. Mm -hmm. And so the guardian can model for them how easy it is. They can watch their guardian go first and then they go right behind them. And uh, so the guardians can be, a, they're really uh, sweet at, at helping with this process. And, and they often reference him if he's in my lap, they'll say hello to my prayer partners, to me, and to Toto. Well, I'd love to move on to guardian angels in a minute. I just, okay. uh, and again, all this work is done telepathically. I just wanted to touch on what you said before about purgatory. And no doubt you get asked this question, is there a, is there a hell or is there a, a time of purgatory? Well, in the Catholic tradition, uh, uh, purgatory, the word means to cleanse, to purge. You probably, you know, purged your garage or your hall closet or your sock drawer or something at some point it just means to clean and, and order, uh, especially to cleanse. Uh, and, and sometimes to throw off uh, anything that was uh, not clean. Uh, the word doesn't get used in this work, but it makes sense uh, that, uh, that people are moving through a process and they need, it's not, that's one metaphor, cleansing. Uh, uh, there are other metaphors that could be used like growth or uh, dawning. Sometimes they're kind of waking up. There are different metaphors. Uh, the hell part, uh, I certainly believe in what the Judeo-Christian tradition in our scriptures mention, what's sometimes called the outer darkness. Um, uh, Sheol, Hades, there's a whole lot of different ideas about some sort of afterlife place of, of great suffering uh, and, and harm. Um, and I've only seen a little evidence of that a, a time or two, uh, whether or not that is permanent. I don't believe God created such a place because I believe God created only good. Uh, in our tradition, we don't know of anybody who's assigned to a permanent hell because God would have to reveal that and God hasn't done that. So this, but it's this, the, the question of hell is the one that gets people most agitated. <laughs> people have very strong feelings about it. I certainly do believe that there's an afterlife place where people could continue to do harm. That's why I make sure that we're protected before we go into this work. I wanted to speak about the beings or the beings of light and the guardian angels once yeah. someone goes to a rest stage and then comes to you for assistance or guidance. I'm, I'm a Catholic Christian and I was taught from childhood that I was, I came here with a guardian angel and that, uh, that my guardian loves me, is serving me because of God's love for me and is going to do what he can or he, she can. They're, they're actually without gender. Um, that's not native to them. Uh, they follow us all through our life. There's something like having a secret service agent that's always with you can always observe anything that is outward so can hear speech can see action they can't they won't read your mind for example because it's rude 
you're entitled to your own consciousness and your own thoughts. They can be pretty good predictors of what your next move might be because they have so much information. You know, they get used to seeing you in all different circumstances. But um, even for people who die, who apparently die alone, they don't. Their guardians are with them at the time of their death. Um, even those that die awful deaths, you might be tempted to say, well, what kind of guardian were you? You let me fall off a cliff? <laughs> you let me die in a car crash? That you, they, they, they understand that you're mortal and there'll be a day when you leave your body somehow. And it's going to be one of their most important moments. Many times they can protect us from something that might have killed us, but we are mortal. There's going to be a day when we leave this body and they'll be there then, whatever happens. One of the nice things uh, that I've seen is that people who, uh, for example, died in a fire and uh, maybe their body was burned in the course of it. I've learned that from folk who, for whom that was the case, that they said, well, it's true that that happened, but, but I was taken out of body by my guardian before all of that. That's beautiful. Uh, uh, one sweet lady died in a home invasion. She was an elderly woman, uh, uh, Claire. Uh, and a, a couple of people who appeared to be on drugs or looking for money to buy drugs or something came into her home and she said she was so weak and frail that it they needed to do nothing but push her over and that was the end of her uh, but she said my guardian i didn't even know i had one i was a christian woman but i i just didn't pay attention to that and she said but he lifted me up above my roof and below the trees and then he told me what i want you to do next is pretend you're a dog that just went swimming and shake very hard and shake off what just happened. Okay, shake that off. And then her guardian said, it's unpleasant here, let's leave. It's unpleasant, you were just murdered in your living room. <laughs> okay. That's kind of unpleasant, uh, let's leave. And so he offered to take her on his back. And she said, I, it reminded, she said, it reminded me of television shows I'd seen where people do tandem skydiving. They jumped out of a plane on the back of somebody else. And she said, I never in my life would have done that, but he was so kind and just said, would, if you'd like, get on my back and we'll fly away. And so she did. So that was her experience of being murdered in her home. Yeah, wow. It's just incredible you're having these experiences and this communication as well. What does it, I, I, again, this is all feeling and telepathy. What does it feel like to interact or communicate with a guardian angel? They're each a little different because they're persons and every person is a little different from the next one. Uh, I'm, all, I'm confident in their love and their willingness to help. Uh, I don't use this gift for anything except this purpose. You know, I, after a show, sometimes people will see me on some interview and then want me to contact their dead relatives and stuff. And mm -hmm. I just don't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I do the thing that I believe the Holy Spirit has given me to do. And it involves a wonderful collaboration with the angels. Uh, I almost always ask for them first anymore and then wait to hear what they want us to call them. They, they choose some kind of a nickname and something easy for us to pronounce. They don't use names. They don't need to use names to greet each other. They have another way of communicating that's just more direct and language is uh, less direct. Uh, but they do present as either masculine or feminine. They just choose one because they know that's what we're used to. It, it, sometimes it's really delightful. Sometimes they are a little sassy or funny. They're really excited because this moment has been one that they've been building towards for some time. And the one that they love went through a painful, violent death and whatever had to happen after that for them to heal and move along. And so there's something of graduation day have you ever seen any of those pictures like during COVID of somebody that was in the hospital for a year, but they're getting out today and the nurses and staff all line up with balloons and, and there's a kind of parade as they are wheeled out of the hospital. It's like that. There's, it's graduation day. And so there's some excitement about, hey, he or she is healthy enough to leave here and go on to something better. And for some reason, you've been chosen as the facilitator or the guide or the assistant to 
assist in this process? There are others, a lot of, and, and the more of these interviews I do, the more people I meet who do this work mm -hmm. in their own ways. Uh, and people who are not from a religious tradition at all, who are from other religious traditions or whatever, it's just a part of their life. And they're excited to hear that there's somebody like me that's talking about it. Uh, and I often end up doing little consults over the phone or on Zoom uh, just to compare notes about what we're doing and suggest, yeah. you know, help however I can. Yeah, I mean, it's so much needed work. Uh, when, you, when, when you first had these dreams, how, how did you believe yourself? Because many people doubt the experiences or the message or the signs that they're receiving. How did you acknowledge that this was real, true? It was just so plainly, it was self-evident. I didn't need to fight it. Um, by that time, I was already in my early 40s. I was, you know, had been ordained a priest more than, you know, 20 years or something. And I'd, I'd had enough experiences of the Holy Spirit uh, asking me to do different and new things that this just felt of a piece consistent with earlier parts of my life. Yeah, One other thing too, uh, this might be helpful. Many priests have to take a turn keeping a pager on the nightstand and being available to be called in the middle of the night to a hospital. That's part kind of comes with the territory. Right. Uh, usually in a region, uh, there's some man, there's some way in which the priests take a different on-call night or something like that. So you just know that this could be a night where I'm interrupted. And, and then you have to answer a sudden phone call and talk with somebody at a nurse's station. And then you need to get, you need to come out of the fog quickly to get the room number and the name of the person and what's just happened and so on. Uh, it felt a little like that. I was just, I was just called out of a sleep to help somebody. And do these, uh, how, how often do these, experiences happen is it on a nightly basis about once a week i had one last night um and they they uh they're not they, it's not exactly once a week but when i look back over my journals they're usually about four or five a month so they average out uh i haven't been all that busy during the pandemic you know i i used to have a crowded travel schedule and then work that I did at churches and things. And so some I'd have seasonal work that would be, I'd be really busy. I was a campus minister most of my career. So the start of the school year, I hardly ever took a breath. I was just always running. Uh, and so if I, if the spirit knew that I was over busy, uh, it would kind of hold off. But then when I, when my pace began to slow a bit, they'd come and sometimes there's two in the same night or three in the same week, but on the whole, about four to five a month. Very interesting. And when do you finally uh, have a prayer partner and you've written about the souls after your dreams? What is it exactly you do to release them? Or what's the process involved or the words that you say? Um, whether it's in person or on Zoom, we protect ourselves in prayer first. After we've done protective prayer, I use an app on my phone that allows me to make an audio recording of the session. Mm -hmm. So uh, I make sure we're, that we're recording. And then I read the story uh, once. Then I ask my prayer partners and I to take a few deep breaths. Spirit means breath, respiration, Holy Spirit. Uh, so allowing yourself to be conscious of the presence of the Spirit, allowing your consciousness to move in the Holy Spirit. I'll usually pause the recording and read the story a second time, just to allow that process to be, think of like the way that you might uh, soak a tea bag. You don't sip from it the minute you put the tea bag in. <laughs> you let it infuse some and let it move through you. And then it's time. So and after we've done that, I'll normally say it would be helpful if, a guard, if the guardian of this person could come and, and give us a little clarity and get us going today. That usually doesn't take more than two or three minutes. And again, the guardians are persons. And so sometimes they're very uh, matter of fact. 
Other times they're chatty. Sometimes they are over the top excited. Their, their moods are, can be really delightful to feel within. Uh, sometimes they mention that they've never spoken through a human before, and this is a, a new experience. They're excited to try it. Uh, and then they, they get to work telling us, uh, and then they usually don't want to disclose anything that the one in their care can, can do on their own. So sometimes they'll say, well, what is the name of the person you guard? And they'll say, I think she'll tell you that in just a moment. And I'll slide over to the side. They always say, I'm going to slide aside. I'll be right here with you, but I'm surrendering the, the uh, access to the voice so that my, the one I guard can come next, take their turn. Sometimes they'll say, I'm going to, uh, I don't mean to stay on the line as though you're in a room where people are passing the phone from one to the another, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't need to stay on the line any longer. I'll allow the one that I guard to come to speak next. And they communicate to you telepathically. And do you, do you speak that out in the recording? I think of it as co-conscious. I allow them into my consciousness. And uh, what I've learned is they have to use my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. They can't use words that I don't know the meaning of. Um, doesn't matter if they never learned English, which is my only language. I have fragments of other languages, but not, I'm not fluent in anything else. Um, it's sometimes they'll find themselves using a word that's in my vocabulary that they never used before, but they understand the meaning of it. And uh, so it's not as though I'm a pipe or a wire and that I disappear from the whole thing. I'm not entranced. I'm just, I'm merged with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, I, but it's, it's their time. Uh, I just try to make myself available and they, they do the talking and then they explain what happened. Uh, and then they go on to, to my, my prayer partner said, well, what happened after that? After, after you were out of body and so on, what's, what's the next thing you remember or what's gone on between that day and now that makes you feel like you're ready to move along? And then it's probably, this is probably a good point for me, Louisa, to say one of the critical moments in the conversation is for my prayer partners to say, do you know who you would like to have come and guide you over? Who would, do you have somebody that, do you know anybody that loves you who died before you did, who might be willing to come and escort you? And then they'll, oftentimes they'll name their grandmother or Sometimes they won't choose somebody, they'll allow it to emerge. They'll say, well, I don't know. This place always seems to come up with the right thing at the right time. They just trust the process sometimes and say, I'll just wait and see who shows up. And then often that's children from their childhood. The oddest little people, you know, your Girl Scout leader, your piano teacher, <laughs> you know, just somebody out of your, your story somewhere along the line who shows up. Uh, and usually not parents right away or grandparents, sometimes grandparents, but usually not spouses and usually not parents. Uh, that might come a little bit later, but relationships that are much simpler than that and sweet and gentle. Then what, then what happens? How do you help assist? We don't see very much after that. We see them leave. Uh, sometimes they simply walk away. I've seen just about everything. Uh, one went in a hot air balloon. Uh, uh, several have been in parades. Uh, one was a float of parades. A man, a Muslim man that died in in, uh, in religious violence in Iraq. But the, you know they have two big rivers in Iraq, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And apparently, people often take their families down to wade in the river. And their festivals are located on a river, barges that are decorated. And so that, that man and, and many others with him left on barges. And, the, and each barge had on it, everybody saw what they wanted to see. They weren't all looking at the same thing, but whatever they looked at was what they wanted most to see. And it was the face or the presence of loved ones uh, uh, lift, uh, putting a hand down to lift them up and on if they wanted to come. And are there any particular words you say people often say to go into the light or many other prayers? Is that there's no particular prayers you say to end this process? 
after they're gone, I say a doxology. Um, it's a, a Christian prayer formula that's often at the end of a sermon or a service. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And to me, that's just my way of saying uh, glory does not belong to me. It belongs to God. And, you know, this, even though this work, it's lovely to be involved in it. It's not my doing. It, it's, it's, I'm not the sun and the moon, you know, <laughs> it's reflected light, not the source of light. Uh, and so I say that at the end of it. So you don't necessarily take the credit for it. Precisely. That's exactly it. I don't take the credit for it. I mean, how could you? Wouldn't that be preposterous? Yes. But... <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. That's why I don't do it. And I mean, how does this intertwine with you being a father? Does it reflect with your priestly work? Well, for one thing, it's not the only priestly work I do. And so, um, for example, on my YouTube channel, I have a lot of videos that are about, I, I love to teach scripture to adults because many people's, many Christian people's religious education happened mostly in their childhood. And they've never been taught in a systematic way uh, our own stories. And so you'd find that on my, my YouTube channel. And then I say mass and hear confessions and I do lots of things that other priests do. Um, so it's not this, that this part is the only part. Um, but I do get referrals from other priests who, who know that I do this. And sometimes they'll have parishioners who manifest some sort of, of psychic gifts. And they say, well, I know somebody that, that you might want to talk to. And so I do little consults with people that, that, um, that are confused or wonder about psychic stuff. Interesting. And once, just one, I won't ask you too many questions. Thank you for your time. Once, you're an interviewer, you're supposed to. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, once these souls leave, whether they leave in a hot air balloon or down a river, where do you think that they transition to? They move to a next realm. One guy who was real, it's so, it's so funny because some of these people are not religious and they're just uh, like, especially like smart alecky young guys that just are fun. That just, one guy I remember saying, you know, this place, it's just doors and doors and doors and doors and doors. You're, 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 you, you, you never stop. There's always a next thing and you're always going on to a next level. And then there does seem to be something of a ceiling. I think that's what they're butting up against when they get in my line. They no longer need to stay in this zone or this level that's all about gaining, regaining health. And then they're able to leave and they're, they're assured, you could come back here to visit if you want to, uh, but now you're able, you're gonna be ready to do a great many other things. And it seems like there, whatever the afterlife is, it seems like there's bands almost like a radio band, you know, as you turn the dial, the numbers get higher. Uh, and they, um, they go on to all kinds of things. Many of them at this level are going on to some sort of academy. Once they gain sufficient health to really kind of dive in to their afterlife experience, dive into what, what is it you want to do? They have to, they, they have, opportunities spread before them. Some of them have compared it to a travel agency. Right. Um, uh, one lady told me she used to shop the Sears and JCPenney catalogs. It was great big, I don't know if you were old yeah. enough for that, great big books where you, there are hundreds and hundreds of pages of clothes and toys and things. She said, they just showed me all of these things and I, I can do any of them that I please. So a lot of them end up honing in on something. It doesn't mean they have to choose it for all eternity, but a next thing to apply yourself to. What would you like to do? Yes, like different levels. And it's very comforting to know that our loved ones are on the other side to greet us. And, and in case there's any loved ones that you are not ready to be greeted by, you don't have to be. No, not everybody comes from a family where all the relationships are whole and happy and healthy. And don't believe that you, at least from what I've seen, 
that you necessarily need to quickly reconcile with somebody that there's a propriety for example some of these people died at the wheel of a car in an accident which caused the death of others you might imagine that would have that would be a, a burden of guilt and that after you've reached this level in the afterlife you might want to say could i please apologize to the people whose lives ended because of my carelessness and they'll sometimes say well that's a noble thought and we will we will help you get ready for that day but it's not yet and that of course would be would mean that the other individuals would all have to be ready too yes that would have to be mutual so we don't just decide on our own that today is the day i'm going to be reconciled with you louisa <laughs> you have some say about that and, and your guardian and my guardian might get together and say they are making their way back to one another but it's not time yet we often hear about a life review what are your thoughts on that i haven't that the, the near-death experiencers i'm a member of ions the near-death experience group and i i follow a lot of people's stories of that and they they often talk about the, they were completely surrounded by love Sometimes they say floating in it, swimming in it, absorbed in it. And then key scenes in their life happen around them. Sometimes like a film, but more like a 3D film, if you can imagine it. Being back in a scene that you were once in, except your consciousness moves from your body to the minds of other people in the circle. And you might've said a thing, and now you get to feel how it was received by everybody else. For example, you might have made a sarcastic joke at which everybody laughed, but it was very wounding to someone who didn't want to give away that you'd hurt them. And you didn't even know that you did, and, but you'd be made aware of it, but not in a way that your nose was rubbed in it and you were shamed. It's just, you were shown the data, you were given a new point of view. And conversely, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be, you might've done some small act of kindness that you hardly even remember doing and my goodness it changed somebody's life so uh, i've seen that but i but that's really not the the realm that i am it's almost like that happens in the next room right that's uh, not I'm your not, department it's not my department exactly. you know like the waitress <laughs> it's not my table <laughs> i love that um what's your thoughts on do we return uh, reincarnation do we return into another physical form well because i'm around so many people who for whom that's their cosmology i'm doing more reading in it um it's not the way i was raised and it's not the way i operate um but and, and i wonder uh it would make sense to me that if that happens it would happen for some but not others that um one of the things I've learned in doing this work is that many people, when it comes to death and afterlife and whatever they've been taught or believed to be true, many people default to some sort of system. There must be one way that this happens. And what I've seen this, that, that might be partially true. I mean, one thing that all of us will have in common is we have to leave our body. That, and there's no doubt that consciousness it, extends beyond the physical body. It, and it does. It does, even for people that didn't believe in an afterlife, uh, whether they were theists, you know, believe in God or not. Uh, I've met plenty of people that said, you know, I just never gave that any thought. And it seemed like uh, it seemed too good to be true or it seemed like something that people did to sort of comfort themselves in grief. Uh, but then here I am. I guess I like to ask this question, a very hard one. What What is the people always ask? What is the purpose? Why? Why are we here in our human incarnation? I believe the whole of the earth is a school of love. We're here to learn to receive love, magnify love, give love. I think it needs to be received well first. Uh, I believe that God is love. I'm using God language, um, but I believe the creator created us is is love created us out of love that we're we're made of the stuff of the creator we're made of love uh and it's best to try to receive love in whatever ways that it comes to us through especially early on through parents and siblings and mm -hmm. uh you know extended family and so on 
if that doesn't go very well, receive love at the next level, receive it from whoever will, is capable of offering it well, and then do something to magnify it. Uh, I believe that we can, what, what magnifiers are used to, there's always something already there that can be seen is just too small. Uh, and shining a magnifying glass makes it, makes the small thing large enough to be understood. I just believe you and I can be magnifiers of love. And we don't need to create it. We just need to receive it, magnify it, offer it. I believe that's what I see it. Um, yeah, exactly. To incarnate it, to inflash. And it, you answered the question. It segues me onto my last question. How can one live their best life? How can we live our best life in this world, both to ourselves and others? I'd start with a negative and say, be not afraid. If, He's a big uh, one. <laughs> yeah, do, look at whatever frightens you and stare it down or work through it or whatever. Uh, be not afraid. Uh, fear is always about the future. You're never afraid about the past or afraid of right now. You're afraid of what might yet happen. And there's always an unreality about it because it doesn't exist yet. So anytime you're fearing something, remember that you're you're moving into fiction. You're, you're moving into unreality. It's best to stay in the present moment. Ask for the present Christian word be, be grace. Ask for the present strength to face the present challenge. And, and then don't make it all about you. Even though you might be grieving or struggling with something, there's someone near you who is also. And so do the best you can to you know, attend to your own business but then ask for the grace to go out in love to someone else and serve them. And that offers us great rewards in itself. It does. It's good for your health. Uh, it's good for your frame of mind. And once, once you've helped somebody, your imagination now has another story to think about. You know, if you worked at the soup kitchen or you visited a neighbor or something like that, that the thought that you were having earlier that was making you so upset now it has to live alongside a competing channel, if you will. <laughs> There's more than one thing in here to think about because I just did something good and I could be thinking about that. And so you might get a little bit of a respite from a recurring depressing thought by simply allowing yourself an experience of something good and pure and true. Thank you. And one, one more question. How, how can we connect more with God or the angels? Well... Desiring it is the first step, wanting it, and wanting it consistently. Uh, with God, um, well, stillness is important, I think. Some, some sort of uh, quietude, some sort of spiritual practice that involves turning off the phone, the internet, and everything. It might, a lot of people can find that in nature, in beauty. Uh, uh, some sort of quiet uh, gratitude in quiet is, is good. You know, counting one's blessings. You can do that on, on the worst day ever. I remember looking at my dad's dead body and I prayed, I knew he was dying. And I said, I want to be grateful and happy the moment I see him, see him dead. And I was, I, uh, I was sad that he had died, but I was also grateful for 76 years worth of, of love and uh with the angels you have a guardian and if you want to get to know your guardian better it's the same thing it's being still and then i make the sign of the cross and i recommend it even to people who aren't catholic or christian it's a simple way of uh like dialing the phone or typing in the email address i i don't throw my spirit out there like on a ouija board and ask any roaming spirit to come in it's not safe uh, there are plenty of people, angelic or human, who are behaving badly at present, and you shouldn't pick up hitchhikers. You know, doesn't mean you have to be down on humanity or the angelic realm, but not everybody is behaving well just now. But if you you pray yourself into your heart of hearts and say, Guardian, I'd like to get to know you. I'm grateful for what you've done so far. Um, uh, would you help me imagine you? and then allow your imagination to float a bit. And if you do that over time, 
it becomes second nature and that relationship begins to build. Wonderful tips and thank you for that explanation. Father Nathan Castle, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Simply, uh, my website is my name. It's nathan-castle.com. So N-A-T-H-A-N-C-A-S-T-L-E.com. And if they do that, in the upper left of the homepage is the little icon, the little envelope that will, you know, get you a, 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 an email. Yep. Well, I just have to say thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's amazing. And what a, a, sure. a beacon of love you are. are there, is there anything else you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you? Um, you're giving me a chance to say anything I want. Is that it? It's your show today. <laughs> everybody survives their death uh all of your loved ones have survived their deaths don't let yourself think that uh that your loved ones are in a bad state or place they can hear you if you talk to them and if you want to wish them well i i bless them but it's sending love Send them love, send them forgiveness, send them encouragement. They'll hear you even if you never in your life get anything back. If you never have the satisfaction of having them come in a dream or hear a voice or see a red bird or <laughs> whatever, butterflies, they will hear you if you're, or they'll get the message if you're sending them love. Even if they're unconscious, they'll, uh, they'll be told as soon as they wake in. And a beautiful message of hope. Thank you so much and that's just such a great way to end the show father nathan and castle thank you so much for being on passion harvest and thank you for creating a show that uh, spreads uh, goodness in the world god bless you for that <laughs> god bless you too thank All you bye-bye right. <laughs> that is the end of our passionate episode thank you so much for listening and please subscribe leave a review tell your friends and spread the passion as always Every day, may you be more and more passionate.